Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to jump back into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Have you ever, have you ever read anything in scripture that like when you get to it, you kind of want to lick your finger and turn the page? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't think I really want to read that. Today's probably going to be like that. Uh, I'm just actually saying this up front. There are times where what you're dealing with in Scripture uh, is, is difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. One of the things that I've always said about churches is that you should be going to a church that is going to challenge you. You should. Uh, you shouldn't always be looking for a church that is just going to agree with you in everything. Frankly, the Word of God disagrees with me quite regularly. And at least with regard to choices that I make. And I need something to confront me, to kind of pull me back into line. And so today, what it is that we're going to be talking about in in 1 Corinthians 7, before he was talking about marriage, he was talking about singleness, and now he's going to be talking about divorce. Now, the reason that this is obviously difficult is, I mean, if you just take a look at at any of the studies, uh, divorce has impacted quite a lot of homes in the United States and honestly around the world. Maybe it hasn't directly impacted, for those of you that are married, you go, well, that hasn't directly impacted me, and hey, praise God for that. We love to hear those success stories in marriage, right? Uh, But we also have to deal with the reality that not every story is a success story when it comes to marriage. And so, how do we juggle this? You know, one of the things I want to say up front is this. We actually have ministries that are here at the church that are designated, we like to say, on the front end of things. Now, we have things like divorce care for people that are going through divorce and how you do that well, because it brings unique challenges, and especially if you have children, it's, it just brings challenges with it. We want to minister to people. But we also like to minister to people on the other side of it, so that we don't have to do divorce care, if that makes any sense. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you go, you know, my marriage is at a five, but we'd like for it to be ah, at a seven. Or maybe it's a six and we would like for it to be an eight. Right now, I'd like for you to look at your spouse and tell them what number you think you're at. (laughs) I'm kidding, don't do that. And Wendy's over here and I wouldn't hear her anyway. Um, But you at least have to have these these conversations because especially in a marriage, it's a moving, they're moving parts here. It's one thing when you first get married and it's just the two of you. Now let's throw a kid in there, right? And you're just like, whoa, and it's a lot of changes come with it. And then maybe you throw a second kid in there and you're like, what are we even doing anymore? Because most of you don't know what you're doing. You're just kind of figuring it out as you go, right? You know what I'm talking about. There are challenges that go with it. I've seen this, because Wendy and I have been married for 20 years. Um, while, while our marriage has certainly had its challenges, the blessings have have gone far beyond any of the challenges that we've faced. And at least for me, I, I look at it and I just go, you know, I, I, life was gonna present challenges anyway, but I've got somebody that's walking alongside me as a teammate in this thing, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. I just wouldn't. And you know what? I know a lot of you feel exactly the same way. The catch is, is in the passage we're looking at this morning, Paul says, but we do have to talk about the other. You know, what does the Bible say about when we can and when we can't get divorced. We do have to talk about it, and so we will. So let me, let me say this uh, now. If you take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you just take a look at verse 10, where we begin, here's, here's the way Paul, Paul starts. He says, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. So in other words, he's actually quoting something that Jesus has said, 
This is not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. And by the way, anytime you see something like the word separate or leave, he's actually meaning divorce. That's just the idea that they had. So to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. Now again, all he's saying is that Jesus has already talked about this, and Jesus did. This is in Matthew chapter 19. If you look at Matthew 19, 10, it says there, Jesus says, a wife should not separate, so again, their word for divorce, from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So what's the goal here in a marriage? And the answer you see from Jesus is, well, divorce isn't the goal, right? That's not the goal. Instead, what we should be seeing from a marriage is a couple of things, is that it is first lifelong, loving commitment one to the other. That's what we should be seeing. So breaking the covenant that you make when you stand before God on your wedding day wasn't God's goal for you, either then or even later in the marriage. But then Paul, if you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13, he says this, also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. Well, Paul's adding some stuff in here. So what is he doing? Well, here's the meaning of it because it seems a little cryptic, right? It's like, why would he say something like that? And the answer is this. When he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, all of these people are coming from a pagan background and they're leaving paganism and they're coming into Christianity. That means that they have existing beliefs about marriage from all of that life before. And then there's, they're coming into the church. Paul's having to give a correction on the way that Christians view marriage versus the way that society around them views marriage. Does that make sense? So he's saying, I have to give a correction here. Uh, so if you have a person who says, if any woman is an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, now why would he say that? Maybe, maybe she has come to accept Jesus and the husband goes, that's it, I'm out. Uh, this wasn't what I signed up for when I said that I was going to marry you. That was a very real situation for the church in Corinth. Notice what he says. If he's willing to live with you, stay in there. I'll tell you why here in just a second. But not everybody was willing to. So with the church, here was the question brings a difficult situation at home. You've got this, maybe this wife that's now going to church. You got a husband that's sitting over there going, well, I'm not going to church with you. That brings complications with it. This is what Paul is talking about. So here's what some of the Christians were thinking. Divorce is just gonna be easier. It's just gonna be easier. Well, here's what Paul is saying in response to that. Well, no, you should stay with them because marriage is a covenant relationship that has been made by God. And it's meant to be a picture of our relationship with him, which means it was meant to be loving and it was meant to be permanent. Maybe what you shouldn't first worry about is what's easiest for you and you should remember your covenant to God. So if they're willing to keep you, stay in there. Now there's more to it than that. Here's another reason. He tells you in verse 14, look at it. He says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. You know, what does that even mean? I mean, is it Wendy that makes me holy and vice versa? And the answer is, is this. It's if you have an unbelieving spouse, you've actually been set apart by God in the marriage to help to lead them to Jesus, both in the way that the things that you speak, but also the example that you give in your marriage. 
And so as they see your witness to Christ, as they see the change that Christ makes in you, that it might actually lead them to Christ where that they can receive him like you have. There's an example of this that I thought was great. Uh, Some of you have heard of Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Uh, They've even made a movie called The Case for Christ. I don't know how many of you have actually seen it. Well, Lee Strobel's wife, and this guy's ended up leading just tons of people to the Lord. He has an amazing testimony. There he was, an, an atheist journalist, right? And then he comes home one day and his wife is like, you know, I've given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's like, what? He was not a happy guy. And he doesn't hide this either. And the movie doesn't hide it either if you watch The Case for Christ. Because he's like, oh, that's great. Now you're going to be going to church and you're going to be boring. You're going to be holy, right? And he just, and instead, here's what he said. He said, I saw such an incredible change in this woman's life that it was her witness in the home that led him to Jesus. And he's become, as a result, one of the great evangelists that we've seen in the last 50 years. This, I think, is the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. By both the things that you say and the witness that you give in the home, maybe your spouse will come to know the Lord. And wouldn't that be a great thing? He's like, so if they'll keep you, and they may not, but if if they'll keep you, be that witness for them. Be that witness. But then he says this in verse 15. But if the unbelieving spouse separates, which again means divorce, here's what Paul says. Let it be. Let it be. In in such cases, a brother or sister is not bound. Here's basically what he's saying. You have no obligation to keep your commitment when they've abandoned you. You have no obligation to keep your commitment when they've abandoned you. I mean, after all, they have broken the covenant, not you. So you are, as Paul says here, you are released from that. That wasn't God's plan, but it is your reality. So as he says in verse 15, how do I respond to this? They walk out. He says, hey, for you, the one that's left behind, here's what he says. Go in peace. God is not heaping judgment or condemnation on you. You had no control over the way that they responded to you or treated you. They're the ones that have abandoned you. You go in peace. God is okay. It doesn't mean that he's celebrating the situation. It's that instead, God has taken seriously the situation. And you shouldn't be laboring under a sense of guilt because you didn't create the situation to begin with. Somebody else did. Now, with that in mind, this is the question that always comes up. So what are the reasons in Scripture that divorce is permitted? Well, you know, friends, I'm glad you asked. And for that, we actually need to go to Matthew chapter 19. So I invite you to turn there. Especially if you start looking at verse 3, the Pharisees, those guys, you know, they're always coming up to Jesus and trying to ask these trick questions, see how it is that, well, they're playing with him is basically what they're doing. Uh, They want to turn people against him. This passage is absolutely no different because here's the way it starts in verse 3. It says, the Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him by asking, don't you love trap questions? They just love it. You know, where they ask you a question where there's no good answer for it because they feel like they're going to get you either way. These people aren't working in good faith with him, but here's what they did. Look at verses 4 through 6. So they ask him, testing what grounds for divorce, and he answers them this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, how many of you have heard that when you've gone to a wedding? Can I see those hands? What God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this is interesting. What was their question? Hey, what are the grounds for a divorce? And here's Jesus. If you go back to Genesis chapter two, God creates the male and female. He's not even answering the question. I like this guy. You know, he is not playing their game. Really, here's what he does though. The question is, can I just divorce my spouse for any reason whatsoever? This is really what they're getting at. And Jesus's answer is, well, no. Because if you look at Genesis 2, and the reason that Jesus even points at Genesis 2 was the reminder that marriage was designed to be a lifelong covenant. And so he's looking at these guys that are like, hey, maybe you could start talking about when I can or people can get divorced. Here's what Jesus is saying. Why are you even asking that question? Why didn't you say, let's go back to Genesis and ask this question. What does God want my marriage to look like? Why didn't you come up and ask me that? What it would mean for a husband to be a blessing to the wife, a wife to be a blessing to the husband. That's the way it was instituted in Genesis. You don't seem to be asking that question. So it just turns on them a little bit. But here's what they're doing. Because they try to trick Jesus, and you see this in Matthew 19, 7, when they say this. Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Oops. See, divorce does seem to be allowed, Jesus, and doesn't seem like you're talking about it. What they're doing is they're quoting Deuteronomy 24.1. If a man marries a woman and finds indecency in her, he can divorce her. So they're quoting scripture, trying to trap Jesus with it. Are you all with me so far? So here's what, here's what Jesus does. If you look at verse 8, Jesus says, well, here's the reason that I started in Genesis. The reason that you're getting divorced is because of your hardness of heart. That's why. Because of your hardness, which by the way, this is the word where we get the hardening of the arteries. Because of your hardness of heart, here's what he says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife, but from the beginning, it wasn't like that. There's Genesis. Wasn't the plan. So, in the way that you're treating your spouse, you are making decisions that is hardening the heart and has led to the destruction of your marriage, but that wasn't the way it was in the beginning. This was the difference. And what Jesus is pointing out is that God allowed concessions due to our fallen state. And those that were asking the question, they knew it. They knew it. So here became the question for them. In Deuteronomy 24, if you find some indecency in your wife, you can divorce her. Well, what did indecent mean? There were two schools of thought. One is called the school of Shammai. And in the school of Shammai, it only meant sexual indecency. So be thinking, maybe she was having an affair, something like that. Okay, and that was about it. The other school was what's called the school of Hillel. And in the school of Hillel, it was a whole lot more permissive on what was considered indecent in terms of the practices in the home. It meant literally anything that you don't like about her. All right, now that expanded it just a little bit, right? Think about it like this, no joke, that meant that if she burned dinner, you could actually divorce her. I'm not making this stuff up. She burns dinner, you go, you know what? Uh, that's indecent, and you're out, sorry. Here's your writ of divorce. I'll show you the door. Uh, maybe, maybe 
uh, he wants to trade in for a younger model because what he finds a little bit indecent is the way that his wife has aged. Well, this would actually permit something like that. You know, these last 17 years have been really good, but you're not looking the way that you used to. And uh, I'm out. Here's your writ of divorce. That is how lenient or how loose the school of Hillel was with how they define the word indecent. Jesus gives a response, and you see it in Matthew 19.9. He says, I, I, I tell you this. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. It, it's not all this stuff. Not, not just here's what allows it, but anything beyond this is adultery, and here's why. is because if the grounds of your divorce wasn't legitimate, you were still meant to be in that marriage to begin with. But you're not. You walked away from your covenant. So even though you have no biblical ground for divorce, you are now in a different relationship that you shouldn't be in, which means you are committing adultery because you were meant to be back over here. You walked away from it. So Paul is actually saying this, because he's expanding something a little of this, this in 1 Corinthians 7, because notice what he said. If they abandon you, divorce is permitted. Matthew 19, if there's sexual immorality, divorce is permitted. It doesn't say you have to. It says divorce is permitted. It's not required. I, I want to share something with you this morning. I, over 20 whatever years of ministry, I have seen incredible acts of mercy shown in marriages where I've seen infidelity and other things. And instead of a person saying something like this, I have permissible grounds to divorce you and I'm done with you. Instead of saying that, they showed them mercy. You've, you've failed me. There's, there's no getting around it. You have failed me. But I want to work through this with you. And I have seen the Lord do some incredible stuff from tremendous brokenness in a marriage. I've seen the Lord do it. And it just, it reminds me, there's this theme in scripture to show mercy and to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, if nothing else, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Another observation I'll make, sometimes I've seen in marriages, uh, a marriage come to an end, not for biblical reasons, but honestly, just because there's a lack of forgiveness. Somebody made a mistake. I don't, even mean, I don't even mean adultery or something. They just made a mistake. And there was so much anger because of the mistake. And they held on to it. And there was just this tremendous lack of forgiveness. And they're talking about something that happened 21 years ago that the person can't go and write now. They can't. It was 21 years ago. And they never let it go. They never forgave. They never worked for reconciliation. Never none of that stuff. And they weren't asking this question. When am I, by scripture, released from this? They were just mad. They were just mad. One of the things I want you to hear from me this morning, my friends, is I, I, I don't want to release you from a biblical burden with regard to your marriage. I want you to honor it. And in that, I think God will honor you. That said, and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands here, but I would bet this, every married person in this space would say, we have had seasons that have been really tough. Let me correct that. Every honest married person in this room today would say that, would say that. 
I want to share something from Tim Keller. He had a great book called The Meaning of Marriage. I commend it to you. He said this, in any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant. It's a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, and eager to please, but in your actions, you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you'll not, get, uh, you'll not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep, and you'll become more constant in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. And he's right. Now, with, with that in mind, one other thing that I do want to talk about, and I, I promise you, we're not covering, we're not going to get through everything in one sermon about this, but I do think that we need to address it because I get asked this a lot, but what about when, the, when there's abuse in the home? What about when you have a husband that is abusing a wife? By the way, wives can't abuse their husbands. It happens. How, how do you handle that? Because that doesn't seem to fit into the same category. Like, they're not cheating on them, right? That'd be Matthew 19. They didn't, they didn't abandon them, right? It's, so that's 1 Corinthians. What do you do? What do you do? And you know what I would love? I would have loved that had, the, had Jesus, in like Matthew, I pick it, 8, goes, all right, I'm going to give you a list, and uh, just check it off. That'd be awesome. It's just not in there like that. But I think that there's more to scripture that would help us in this. And for that, we need to turn to Exodus 21, verses 10 and 11. Let me give you a little bit of background. You know, imagine, imagine that what you have is a time where you had polygamy was in practice. They would marry multiple wives. And then, you know, you've had these people that would literally try to marry slaves. They were, slaves are even seen as kind of subhuman. They didn't have the same rights and privileges and so forth. With that in mind, there was something that, that scripture teaches us about marriage. Here's what it says. It says, if he takes an additional wife, which is not recommended, by the way, just saying it's a fact of what they were doing. Notice what it says here. He must not reduce the food, clothing, or the marital rights of the first wife. And if he doesn't do these three things for her, she may leave free of charge without any payment. Here's, here's what this means from Exodus 21, 10 and 11. Judaism actually had four grounds for divorce. Did you just catch them? There were four grounds based on the Old Testament. There was adultery. This was Deuteronomy 24.1. But if you neglect them, which is what was just mentioned in Exodus 21, 10, and 11. All of you that are married got up in front of a crowd one day and the Lord, and you made a vow that you were going to be a specific person. I made a vow that what I was going to do is that I was going to take care of Wendy. I said this to her mom and dad before we ever got married. You will never have to worry about her. Never. Mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. Never. You won't. Some days I'm better than others. All right. I'm just being fair. I'm being fair. But why did I say that? It's because this is what scripture told me to be as her husband. And it's what scripture has told her to be for me since she is my wife. That we love each other. We're true to each other. We provide for each other. The rabbis, by the way, we're not going to do this at Woodridge, but the rabbis would literally keep an account on how each of the homes were doing this. They would go and check the books 
on how the husband was providing for the wife financially, whether her needs were being met. We're not doing that here, and you're welcome for that. <laughs> they did it. They would keep it. And if the guy wasn't actually ponying up to the responsibilities that he agreed to, guess what they'd do? They'd pull him into the courts of the religious leaders, and they'd be like, look here. And they would draw this guy back into line. You made a covenant. And guess what? He did. We're just not going to do that stuff here. Can I just say this? Do this for your spouse. Do it for your spouse. Adultery, neglect, all gave grounds. And all of this, Jesus talks about Matthew 19. All of these are indications of a person's hard heart. They don't love you the way that I told them to in this covenant that you made before me. Even in Ezekiel, it's really interesting. People walked away from God, and God looks at them and he says, in spite of it. And this whole picture of Ezekiel is that this is like a marriage, us to God, God to us. It says, in spite of the fact that you have walked away from me, look at what I have been for you. I have shown you love, I have taken care of your needs, and I've been faithful to you. What does that sound like? It sounds like this. It sounds like this. So if what you see is a person whose heart is so hard that they do not meet the covenant obligations that they committed to according to scripture, here's what it's telling you. They have broken it. They have neglected what was meant to be. And the assumption here is abuse is so much further down the road than the things that are on the list that you need to get yourself in a safe space and get out of the situation. And if you're in that situation, I want to say something this morning and you don't know where to go, Come to us. You need to get into a safe space. You, your kids, whoever it is. So emotional support and material support. Everything that Paul was alluding to them in Exodus 21, which he knew and was reminding the Corinthians that they owed their spouses these very things and their covenant to one another. Let me end like this this morning. I know this passage is challenging, but I also think it's important. It's important. I want you to pay close attention to how you think in your marriage. Can I encourage you that today? Let's, let's avoid the approach of the religious leaders in Matthew 19, where we're trying to nitpick every possibility that in our own eyes would justify us walking away from our spouse. And maybe let's ask a different question. Going back to Genesis, what did God create this relationship to be? What did he create it to look like? And then to ask in just our own sense of our personal responsibility with what's been entrusted to us in that relationship, a simple question, how am I doing? Am I loving my wife well? Am I loving my husband well? We need to be asking those questions. Less of a, hey, when can I get a divorce? And more of a, what can I make sure that I don't? What can we make sure to do that we don't. Man, with this quote from Tim Keller, because it's, it's a beautiful picture. Everything that I would hope one day that I could say when I stand before the Lord with regard to everything that's been entrusted to me, only one, one of which is my marriage, but it counts. Here's what he said. He said, within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person and to get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I wanna be a part of that. I wanna partner with you and God and the journey you're taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and I will say, I always knew you could be like this. 
I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. I would hope that as I stand before the Lord one day and then I give an account, and I will, one of those things is an account for my marriage. And I would hope that because of my relationship with Wendy, that she would be closer to the Lord, that I made that investment. And just as Tim Keller said, I can see her then and say, man, look at you now. And I got to be a little part of it. This is what God meant for it to be. So all the challenges, they are there, but so are all the blessings. They are there, and the journey is worth it. It's worth it. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.